All right. We are in the book of Acts. If you would turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. We've, we do have a PowerPoint very well. Thank you for that to go along with this. And I'm going to get help from the back there to work through it. I appreciate that as well. Acts chapter 15. Our assigned passage today is Acts 15, 36 through chapter 16 and verse 15. So let's read the passage uh, before we get rolling. And uh, then we'll see what the Lord has for us. Okay, Acts 15, verse 36 says this. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who, who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Chapter 16, verse 11, last five verses. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. That's the end of our passage. Let's pray together before we begin. Father, we do thank you 
again for the opportunity to look into your wonderful word. Thank you for giving it to us. Help us, O oh God, as we look into it today to rightly divide your word. We want to understand it. O oh Lord, help us as well to apply it to our lives. We do not want to be just hearers of the Lord of the word. O oh Lord, help us, but we want to be doers of the word. So help us, we pray. We do ask for your help, your guidance, your direction by your spirit, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. The job's not done, Michael. That's something I heard quite a bit as I was a young boy, oftentimes because of my own failure to finish the jobs that were set out by mom and dad. And in God's sovereign purposes, now I'm the one spouting the same thing to my children time and time again. The job's not done, kids. I want to say to you this morning that this is true also in a spiritual sense. The job is not done. If I were to put a title to today's message, it would be that. The job's not done. It wasn't for Paul. We're going to find out about that. The job wasn't completed. And it isn't for you and I either. The job's not done. Uh, We do want to go through a couple of things as we begin here this morning. I've borrowed some slides from last week, so you may say, hey, those look familiar. Well, they are. Dave did such a nice job, I've just borrowed them. So help me out here, Timmy. Let's run through this. The job's not done. This is Paul's second missionary journey. And last week, we considered uh, uh, the Jerusalem Council, which was just after Paul's first missionary journey. Acts 13 and 14 covered the first missionary journey of Paul, which is uh, in these lines here, both the blue and the red, are both the first missionary journey. The one is going out and the one is coming back. That was Acts 13 and 14. Then there was this little bit of a pause in Acts 15 for the Jerusalem Council, or I think Dave said the Jerusalem Consultation, whatever you'd want to call it, where there was this necessary distraction, you could say. They had to pause and deal with this issue concerning circumcision and the law. Okay, click through it here for us. We remember that the command was given in Acts 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. So go ahead and click through. You can just keep rolling right through those next few there. Jerusalem here and in all Judea. Keep it going. And Samaria. And here's the spread of the gospel. This is the idea that the Lord had from Acts 1, 8 into the end of the earth. Go ahead and we'll see as uh, as the Lord had planned that the gospel will spread through the world. This was the purposes of God. This is what he had said would happen. And that's exactly what's happening. So here we've got, you can see, uh, just a little uh, tracing of what would have been Paul's first missionary journey. I hope everybody on this side can see. Okay, next slide, please. Now here we have... Uh, what would be Paul's second missionary journey. So as you can see, the first missionary journey took place all in this uh, section right here of geography. But the second missionary journey uh, is much broader. He's going to cover a lot of miles. The first one, something like a thousand miles he traveled. Uh, no big deal, right? On foot, hiking, and on, on old school sailboats. Well, that's what he did. But this one... Some 3,000 miles he's going to travel. I do want you to know, uh, I guess we could go through the passage without you knowing this, but we ought to know that here we've got 21 verses that we're going to cover. And in 21 verses, we're going to go from Antioch here, where he sent out from, all the way till we land up here in Philippi. 
more than a thousand miles of travel in 21 verses. We'll maybe have to go a thousand miles an hour to get through all of it. But that's the reality from Antioch all the way to Philippi in 21 verses. That's what we're going to be looking at. So this is uh, what the second mystery, if we're tracing, was done. This is kind of the track that would have, would have gone, starting from Antioch, being sent out all the way through. And we'll see in the next few weeks, we're going to start to see some of these familiar cities that we know about such as Corinth and Athens and Berea, right? We've got Berea in Acts 17 and Athens in Acts 17. Thessalonica, those are yet to come. But today we'll land in Philippi. So if you would, click the next. Okay, so just for my own sake, because I'm not a geography expert, it was helpful for me to see a modern map and to kind of compare and contrast. So, of course, this is the section that we're looking at on that scaled-in second missionary journey. Uh, right here, of course, you can always find Egypt and just go up from there to find Israel. So let's zoom in there. Go to the next one. Okay, so we've zoomed in now. Here's Cairo, Egypt, Israel, and, of course, modern-day Turkey. So we're going to see that he's going to land all the way over in Greece uh, in Philippi today. Now go to the next one. We've got uh, what would be just an idea of what his track was to, if, if it was done on today's map. So, of course, all the same landscape, but just different names. So uh, that was somewhat helpful to me to get an idea of what we're thinking about. Some 3,000 miles of travel. Some have estimated that Paul traveled more than 10, some say more than 15,000 miles in these three missionary journeys. If you include the fourth, definitely, when he went to Rome, which was not that the fourth at the very end, not always considered a missionary journey. But we know Paul, and he turned it into a missionary journey. He was going to appeal his case to the government there. And, of course, he had a tremendous visitation program. Did you know that in Acts 28? He was on house arrest. He couldn't go visit, but lots came to visit him. This was the Apostle Paul, right? A missionary wherever he went. Be a missionary every day. Okay, so uh, give the next click there. All right, so again, this is uh, the map as it was in that day, the second missionary journey. This is what we're looking at today. Antioch to the top corner there, uh, Philippi, which is in Macedonia. Of course, that's part of the Macedonian call. We're going to think about that a little bit. Okay, go to the next one. Okay, so this will be the outline for today. You can go ahead and just click through that uh, if you would. Paul's second missionary journey. We're going to consider a commendation. Uh, we're going to consider a circumcision. We're going to consider a call and then a conversion. The commendation has to do with Paul and Silas being sent out, commended to God's work. The circumcision, of course, that has to do with Timothy as he circumcised in the first five verses there of chapter 16. What in the world? Why did Paul do that? We'll think about that a little bit. We trust. And a call, of course, that's the Macedonian call. And then finally, a conversion. That's the the conversion of Lydia. So the job's not done, dear saints. It wasn't for Paul. Hey, you might think, like, Paul, you've been out a thousand plus miles of travel. You, you You've dealt with persecution. You've dealt with demonic activity. You've been stoned. And you've had lots of successes. Perhaps now's the time to sit back and kick up your feet. Oh, and by the way, after that, Paul, you not only did all of that, but then you traveled 600 miles to Jerusalem and back to deal with this matter of chapter 15, this Jerusalem council matter. All of that, Paul, take a break. 
It's time to sit back. But Paul wouldn't do that, you see. The job's not done. The job wouldn't be done for Paul until finally, at the very end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, he would say those familiar words that I trust many of us are aware of, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. There would come a time in Paul's life when he was totally unable to go on any longer. Then the job was done for Paul. But if you're sitting here today, like me, you've got life and breath and the job's not done. This is no time for quitting. No time for conceding. No time for kicking up the feet, dear saints. The job's not done. There's more work to be accomplished. You're still here. I'm still here. Christ has not come back yet for us. The job's not done. We must continue on. Paul would take three distinct missionary journeys. This is number two today. We already considered number one from Acts 13 and 14. We will consider a third in the will of the Lord, which picks up in Acts chapter 18. All in all, Something like seven to ten years of missionary journey travels for Paul, some ten to fifteen thousand miles in the work of the Lord. Souls saved, churches planted, elders appointed. This is the work of the Lord. So I want to ask you today, dear saints, have you quit? Have you kicked up your feet? Have you placed aside your spiritual hard hat this morning? I trust that, okay, maybe as you've come in the door this morning, the hard hat comes off for a few minutes as we're refreshed together. But some, you know, have removed the hard hat altogether. They've put the tools aside. They've given up on God's work. I trust it's not true for you, for me. There's work to be done. I could not help but sense the leading of the Spirit of God. Brian took us to Ephesians 4 at the end of the Lord's Supper. Equipped for work, brothers and sisters. I'm not trying to demoralize you. This is exciting. We get to be a part of God's work and it's not done yet. It's not over. It wasn't for Paul. And notably, in 2 Timothy, when Paul is at the end of his life, you know what he's doing? He's encouraging Timothy his young son in the faith to endure, to continue, to keep going. Many have put one word to the book of 2 Timothy, endurance. Keep going. So I'm asking you today, have you taken the running shoes off? I hope not. The writer of Hebrews would say, let us run with endurance the race. Put the running shoes back on, dear saints. Have you put the sword down? Have you, have you taken off the, 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 the battle garments, so to speak? Paul would say in 2 Timothy, no man engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, right? Not my words, so the apostles' words. Many times we're so, our hands are so full with the affairs of this life, we've got no hand for the sword. We've got no hand for the plow. We've got no, listen, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 3, we are God's fellow workers. That's a privilege. It's a massive responsibility too. 
No time for quitting, dear saint. No time for kicking up the feet. No time for checking out. Some have done that, you know. They've checked out on God's work. As if the job's done, the job's not done. He's not back yet. The church is still being built, Ephesians 4. Every part doing its share. I'm not trying to condemn you. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. This is for me too. A massive privilege to be involved in the work of the Lord. George Whitfield would say, press forward. Do not stop. Do not linger in your journey, but strive for the mark set before you. We often sing hymns in this regard onward, Christian soldiers and things like this. Don't forget, dear saint, that in the work of the Lord, there is no operation without opposition. That is true. You know, some have been discouraged because there's opposition, internal conflict at times, like we see with Paul and Barnabas. There's lots to learn there. It didn't deter them. They went forward into the work of the Lord. But some have checked out because of internal conflict. Oh, those people over there, I don't like them. I don't get along with them. I'm done. I'll go, I'll go shell up in my home for the next 20 years and check out on the Lord. There is no operation in the work of the Lord without opposition. There won't be progress without persecution. There is no winning without warfare. There is no victory without vigilance. This is the reality of the work of the Lord. And I'm not saying we do it in and of ourselves. You understand that, right? We've seen the apostles time and time again, men of prayer, men of dependence on the Lord. This is the idea that God is going to do the work through us, but we don't give up. We put our hand to the plow. Lord, what would you have me to do, right? We considered that. The work's not done. William Booth said this, Work as if everything depended upon work, and pray as if everything depended upon prayer. Work as if everything depended upon work, and pray as if everything depended on prayer. William Booth said that, the founder of the Salvation Army. All right. No time for coasting, dear saints. The work's not done. The job's not done. So we shall go forward. The passage today is the second missionary journey of Paul. He wouldn't give up on the work. He didn't check out, but he would keep going. In fact, in verse 36, when Paul will say to Barnabas, let's go back, some of you might think, well, now Paul's going to go back to the work. But actually, that's a little bit of a, of a misunderstanding. He's not going back to the work. He was already working in Antioch, already working there. It's a wonderful thing when people sense the call of the Lord to go out, which is where Paul was in Acts 15.36. But it's far greater when those same people find themselves engaged in the work of the Lord where God has placed them. This was true of Paul. Paul didn't sit idly by in Antioch saying, hmm, wonder what I'll do. I'd like to go out. I'm not ready to go out for whatever the reason yet, but I'd like to. But I'll sit by and just twiddle my thumbs while I wait. No, but we read in the verses preceding our chapter that they were involved in the work of the Lord at Antioch. It's a wonderful thing to be called to the work of the Lord. Let us be called from work to work, dear saints. The Lord has placed you here. Work where you're planted. 
by God's grace, by God's grace. And if he calls you elsewhere, so be it. Praise God. We're happy for the call of the Lord to other places and other lands. But this is where the Lord has you now. Labor where you're living, dear saint. It's exactly what Paul did. It is notable because we recognize that the work that Paul and Barnabas and these apostles did was not a flash in the pan, so to speak. E.M. Bounds says in his commentary, their preaching was not the performance of an hour, but rather the overflow of a life. May it be so for you and I. That when we involve ourselves, though the Lord's calling me, wonderful, let it be the overflow of a life of work for the Lord, that I can work just where the Lord has placed me. This was Paul and Barnabas laboring in Antioch, and then Paul will say in Acts 15 and 36, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. What a notable declaration, if we want to call it that. What did I call it there? A determination or a declaration. We're going to go back, Barnabas, to visit those people. Who? The people that they had seen on the first missionary journey. This is what Paul felt called to. We're going to go back to these people and we're going to visit them. Hey, let me say something to you. This may sound critical, but it's to me too. You and I have trouble at times visiting one another a few miles away with an air-conditioned vehicle. You and I have trouble at times texting one another. We can hardly find the time to do it. Here is Paul. Hey, Barnabas, let's go back and check in on those people. What people, Paul? Well, you know that thousand-mile hike that we took? Let's go do that again and see how these people are doing, huh? What a challenging thing. I find trouble at times just, and I know life is difficult. I'm not saying it's hard work and all of that. I'm not trying to criticize you, but I'm just saying, look at what they did. We're going to go back on this massive journey. No cars, no planes, old sailboats, but we're going to do it. Why? Because our brethren are there. How do you think of the, the people of God? Paul said, those people that we ministered to, those are our brethren. How do you think of the family of God? How do you think of your fellow Christian? Are they your family? Notice that Paul's intent, at least by his determination here, is not just gospel work, or you could say it would be the other side of gospel work. Not just proclaiming the gospel, but pastoring the people. You see that? Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord. Who are they visiting? The unsaved, according to what he's saying. I'm not saying he wouldn't go preach the gospel. Of course he did. But what does he say? We're going to see our brethren, and we want to see how they're doing. We can go a-preaching. Wonderful. But remember the call of the Lord Jesus is to make disciples, not just converts. This has been noted time and time again. We want to see, Paul wanted to see, those who on the first missionary journey were born again growing up. Someone said it like this. Like a good obstetrician, Paul wanted to see new children brought into the family of God. But like a good pediatrician, Paul wanted to see these new children growing I'm concerned with how they're doing, Paul would say. How are you doing? How am I doing? Are you concerned with how your fellow saints are doing? Do you check in? 
What about those that can't get out? I'm just thinking. Paul was so concerned, he would, in his mind at least, commit to more than a thousand miles. It's like running to, to Atlanta on foot and back. That's what he was committing to. To do what? To check on his brethren. That's powerful. That's powerful. Again, I just can't help but feel the Spirit of God saying to me, you are such a weenie. Such a weenie. Like you can't take the steps necessary to jump into your vehicle or to get on your phone and take care and concern for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you consider them your brothers? Paul said they were his brethren. He had only known them for maybe a few months He checked in on 10 cities, approximately, in his first missionary journey over the span of a year and a half. So at any given city, a month or two months, and he already considered them, those are my brethren. And let's go back and check on them. I'm concerned about how they're doing. We preach to them. Let's go pastor them. Let's see these new children that have been brought into the family of God And we trust being built up. That's what we thought about at the end of the Lord's Supper this morning. Grow up. Grow up in the Lord. Now we have this division here. That's his determination, which we see up on the board. We're going to go back. But then there's this uh, uh, division or what did I call it here? Dispute. Dispute is maybe a better word. This is a dispute between Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. Paul insisted that they should not take him. Why? The text tells us. Because on the first missionary journey, we could go back and read it in chapter 13, they took this young John Mark with them, and partway through the trip, he bailed out. He bailed out. We're not sure why. Maybe he was sick. Maybe it was too hard for him. I don't know. But he bailed out. Barnabas wanted to take him with him. With them. Paul did not. You could say that they had unity on the mission of the team, but disunity on the composition of the team. They had unity on the mission. We're going back. They were on board with that. Paul and Barnabas were together on that. But the composition of the team became an issue, not a doctrinal issue. I hope you see that. When we looked at fifth, chapter 15, there was this doctrinal issue. And they, they stopped everything to deal with it. It was that important. But here, we're not dealing with a doctrinal issue. This is a personal issue. Paul says no. Barnabas says let's go and let's take John Mark with us. Many have noted the difference of personality between Paul and Barnabas. Of course, none of us live with them, but when we look at the pages of Scripture, we see Barnabas as this one. His name means the son of encouragement. And Paul, and many have observed, was a go-getter, right? I could see Paul saying, hey, we're going. Pick up your bags and let's go. Oh, Paul, I'm tired. Too bad. We're going. And John Mark said, I'm out of here. I don't know. I don't know how it looked. But this was Paul, right? He was a go-getter and he was going to, nothing was going to stop him in that sense other than the Spirit of God. So maybe it was a matter of personality and of preference and so forth. Whatever the case is, we recognize I don't want to sugarcoat the matter. We're not going to sugarcoat it. The scriptures do not go to great lengths to disguise the failures of the heroes of the faith. You know that, right? 
Adam and Abraham and Noah and David and so forth, they all had failures. And the scriptures tell us about their failures, and we're glad that they do. One of the reasons why is because when we observe the failures and shortcomings of the heroes of the faith, you and I can take encouragement. Hey, I'm just like them, right? We were thinking, uh, one of the dear brothers and I, Romans 7, I don't do the things that I want to do. The things that I want to do, I don't do. Look, Paul struggled. I struggled too. The scriptures don't sugarcoat the failures of the heroes of the faith. That's true all throughout the scriptures. It's helpful as well because when we come to the man Christ Jesus in the scriptures, we find a man who is perfect. No failures at all. The scripture would have nothing to say of failures in that man, even though all of the heroes of the faith essentially had their shortcomings and failures. So Paul and Barnabas have this dispute. Now, some would say this was a uh, an utter failure, just a total implosion. But I want to suggest to you that it's very possible that this separation was not a total failure, and you are free to have your own opinion on it. But you could see this as a strife-settling solution to their problem, okay? What are we going to do about this? Well, they can't seem to see eye to eye. They're going out into missionary work. Hey, we often say, right, how can two walk together unless they're in agreement? Amos 3, 3. We might say to that, well, we better get in agreement. And there's some truth to that, no doubt about it. On the other hand, you might say, well, if you're not in agreement, then you better not try to walk together. Well, this was Paul and Barnabas. Again, I'm not sugarcoating their division or their parting from one another. It seems at some level to be a failure. But on the other hand, it was a strife settling solution to their problem. They would part ways And they would go, here's what I want you to observe, though. This is what just I absolutely love. The contention didn't stop the call. Paul was called, as was Barnabas, back out into the work of the Lord. The call came first. The contention came second. The contention wouldn't stop the call. That's powerful to me. Because, you know, you and I at times, we may have some level of disagreement over some things. We trust if it's doctrinal things, we'll do what they did in Acts 15. Dave did an excellent job of helping us with that last week. Let's sit down. Let's go through the scriptures. Let's see what God has to say. But if it's not doctrinal, if it's personal, and we have some type of a disagreement, and we desire to go out into the work... May it not stop the work of God altogether. It didn't for Paul and Barnabas. I love that. I love that. One of the most effective things we can do when we have a a level of disagreement with one another is get back to the work. Get back to the work. Don't huddle up at home for the next year and, 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 and soak in your sorrow. This brother doesn't agree with me, and we don't see eye to eye, and I don't know if we ever will. Well, it doesn't seem like they were going to see eye to eye either. But it didn't stop the call to the work. Dear saint, get back to the work. Get back to the work. You have some level of disagreement, okay? Not the end of the world. Let's get back to the work. Hey, listen, many people, I shouldn't say many, some people have left us here at Boulevard. Hey, that's a sensitive thing to talk about. But of course it happens. People come and go at times. 
I am thrilled when somebody who leaves us over a minor disagreement goes on into the work of the Lord. We look out and rejoice. Look at God's called them elsewhere. They're laboring for the Lord. Praise God. But what's devastating to me is when people use contention as a reason to negate the call of God. I'll just huddle up at home for the next 20 years sometimes. I'm done with those Christians. I'm done with the work of God. They don't see things the way I do, and I'm done. Not Paul and Barnabas, you see. The call superseded the contention. We're going to work, brothers and sisters. Hey, I can't, Barnabas, we can't seem to work this out. Whatever the case is, there's work to be done. We're going to work. Let's get to work. So what does it say? It says they were, Paul chose Silas and departed Uh, Verse 40, Barnabas took Mark and he departed to Cyprus and they went through Syria and Cilicia. This is Paul and, and Silas, I should say, went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Note in verse 40 that they were commended by the brethren to the grace of God. If I would have written that verse, well, let me ask you. If you were to be asked, fill in the blank. We've got a couple that are going to go out as missionaries. We are going to commend them to the blank of the Lord. What would you say? I know what I would say. We're going to commend them to the work of the Lord. Right? Commended workers. That's what we say. But it's notable to me that they're commended by the brethren to the grace of God. To the grace of God. Grace is when we receive that which we don't deserve. Is the work of the Lord truly a work? It absolutely is. When it comes to our involvement in the work of the Lord, we can rightly say this is the work of the Lord. But when it comes to the increase in the work of the Lord, we can say nothing other than the grace of God. Right Later, we're going to read of Paul and God's grace and time. Leading Lydia to the Lord. Oh, some would say, look at Paul. Wonderful worker for the Lord. And it's true. But I can assure you that when Paul saw Lydia come to the Lord, he did not say, I've gotten what I deserve. I'm the commended worker. Born again, Lydia. Look at what I've done. Nobody recognized that it was God who opened her heart. When it comes to involvement in the work of God, absolutely, it's the work of God. And it is a hard work, dear saint. That's why Paul calls us, the scriptures call us to endure. But when it comes to increase in the work of God, remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3? Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase involvement in the work of God. Absolutely. It's a work of God. So maybe we should be calling these dear saints commended gracers, not commended workers. I don't know. Uh, Whatever the case is, they were commended out into the grace of God. Look at one verse from chapter 14, where this is tied together. I don't think we had a chance to look at this previously due to time, but I don't tend to pay much attention to time. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go on all day. Chapter 14 and verse 26. For there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended. Chapter 14 verse 26. To the grace of God for the work. 
Uh, that's a good balance right there. That's appropriately stated if you want both sides of the coin. And then listen to Paul's word, words from 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. I'm going to try to move quickly. 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. I read this last week, and it goes like this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I worked. I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Involvement in the work of God. You're a worker. I'm a worker. Increase in the work of God by his grace. I want to be commended to the grace of God. I trust you do too as you go out into the work of the Lord. Hey, if you're going out to the work of the Lord and you're not going out in the grace of the Lord, if it's not his unmerited divine favor and blessing that's going to be accomplished, I tell you, you're, you're in for a world of hurt. We don't go out into the work of the Lord apart from the grace of the Lord. We need his divine protection and blessing and increase if we're going to involve ourselves in the work of the Lord. Let's hurry. Chapter 16, he came to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. So I want to note three things here, or four things. Number two, we're going to consider the circumcision. Sovereignty, sacrifice, strategy and strengthening. Most of these words can be found in here or at least deduced from here, no doubt. Sovereignty. Paul had lost John Mark, but here God supplies to him another assistant, the disciple Timothy, the sovereignty of God. We could develop that more, but we don't have time to do so. The sovereignty of God. God supplies Timothy to Paul. Note that Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. What does that mean? Well, it means he had a good reputation. People thought well of him. This is important, by the way. Yes, ultimately, we want good character. That's what God sees. But there is essentially no doubt that a person of good character will be a person of good reputation. The two go together. Timothy had good reputation. We could develop that as well. Elders need to have good reputation. The saints should have good reputation. This was Timothy. Oh, the sovereign hand of God to be preparing Timothy before Paul even arrived. Some have said, by the way, it's very possible. Remember, Paul's going back to Lystra. He had already been there. So is it possible that Paul was the one who initially led Timothy to the Lord? It's very possible. Perhaps likely. We do know that Timothy had a godly mother, right? We are aware of that. And a godly grandmother. Lois and Eunice we read about in Second Timothy, I believe. A, a godly heritage, but they didn't have the gospel. Not yet. Until Paul got there and presented it. So far as we know. So here's Timothy by the sovereign hand of God supplied to Paul who needed a new assistant. But number two... The sacrifice, this circumcision, Paul wanted to have him go on with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews. Now you say, wait a minute, didn't they just settle this issue in chapter 15? Didn't they say circumcision was not necessary? They did doctrinally not necessary. You don't need to be circumcised to be born again. 
That was what the false teachers were saying. But here we understand that Timothy would be circumcised not for salvation, but because of the Jews. Here's the bottom line. I'd like to take lots of time to develop it, but here's the bottom line. Paul knew that an uncircumcised Timothy would be a hindrance to gospel work. It would be a hindrance to pastoral work as well. And so Paul, well, Timothy, was willing to go under this procedure. Why? For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the Lord. Well, Timothy, aren't you doing enough as it is? Someone could say to him, you're going to go out with this man and hike and sail and and be persecuted. And he was stoned last time, Timothy. And now this, just to get started? Yeah, the cost of discipleship, right? That's what the Lord Jesus said. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The cost of discipleship. Timothy was willing to endure it. And of course, Paul wasn't asking Timothy to do anything that he himself would not do. Lystra was where Paul was stoned in the first missionary journey. Where is he back at now? He's back in Lystra. Yeah, I'll I'll go back there because the Lord's called me there. You were stoned there, Paul. Yeah, I'm going back anyway. The cost of discipleship. What are you willing to give for the sake of the gospel? What am I willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel? Timothy was willing to begin the trip at a great cost with circumcision. What a tremendous picture to us. There's more that we could say about that as we could maybe spiritualize that a little bit more, thinking about the laying off of the flesh. But I leave that to you to think about in days to come. All right. So, Timothy willing to lay it all down for the sake of the gospel. Note that when we're thinking about this and taking the necessary steps for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ, we're not talking about compromising morality. We're not talking about fudging on doctrine. We're talking about limiting liberties. Are you willing to limit some of your liberties for the sake of the gospel? It's a fair question. Would you be willing to limit your liberties for the work of Christ? To lay aside certain things that you have the right to do or not to do, but you won't for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. We could give lots of basic examples in this way. The reality is that the advance of the gospel will always be in tension with our own comforts. That's true. The advance of the gospel will always be in tension with their own comforts. Timothy was willing to suffer the cost immediately and then go out into the work and continue to suffer the cost of being a disciple. Note as well Paul's strategy. He takes Timothy with him. Discipleship, right? Paul, you could say, believed in the take your child to work program, right? Timothy, come with me. We're going to the work. What better way to disciple somebody? Hey, we could sit in front of textbooks all day, right? This is what you'll do when this happens. Ah, Come with me. Let's go work together. The strategy of Paul. And then, of course, we see the result in chapter 16. The churches are strengthened. What a tremendous thing. How were they strengthened or how did they increase? 
Two ways they were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. You could say that the churches increased in quality and in quantity. I trust we have the same desire. Nothing wrong with desiring new believers to be added to our midst. Certainly, we desire for those who are here to grow up in the faith. That's what we were thinking about. And you notice the order of these. I'm not going to put too much stock into it, but it does mention first strengthened in the faith and then increased in number daily. There may be something to that as we think about a strong church which will result in increased numbers, right? A, a, a group of mature Christians will result in increase in numbers by God's grace, of course. All right. Paul is then called the Macedonian call, and uh, we just see the direction of the Lord. We're not going to take much time on that, as important as it is. We just note that the Lord closed multiple doors, I don't know if you ever feel like that, but Paul tried to go this way. Eh. Paul tried to go this way. Eh. Wait a minute. Wasn't he following the leading of the Lord? Wasn't he following the spirit of God? The reality is that the Lord uses closed doors to lead us. Isn't that true? He will close doors to lead his children along. I don't think it was that they weren't following the Lord and that's why they tried to go and the Lord said no but that the Lord would use these closed doors. Someone said, the Lord's no is just as important as the Lord's go. That is true, I believe. When the Lord says no, follow his direction, and so he goes, and we need to close. But Lydia is going to be the result of this Macedonian call. Paul, he hears in the vision, come over and help us. Immediately, they seek to go to Macedonia based on the call of the Lord. And so they go and ultimately they find a group of women. You might say women. I thought the Bible disparaged women. I thought the Bible demeaned women. No, 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 no. The scriptures exalt women and rightfully so. Here Paul would come. No men in sight, according to the text, just a group of women. And Paul would come and he would step into the scene and it says, just sit down. And just speak with them. How about you and I? Can we do this? Can you be a seeker and a speaker? That's what Paul was. He sought out the people and he just simply sat down and spoke to them. What happened? The end of verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. He was just a simple seeker and a simple speaker. The Lord did the rest of it. This is always the case, right? This is what we were talking about. God gives the increase. You do your part. Can you seek people? Listen, we live in South Florida. We've got no excuse. There's people everywhere, whether we like it or not. We turn to the left, there's more people. Turn to the right, more people. You go to the gas station people, the mall people, people, people everywhere. We can find them. Will we sit? And speak with them. That's all Paul did in this text. So simple. Will you obey the simple call of the Lord? Seeking and speaking to the lost. They need help. They need help. This was the call. Come over and help us. How do you see the perishing? I trust as those that need help. They need to be rescued. 
by God's grace. May the Lord help us. Our Father, we thank you. As we have opened your word today, you speak to us. We're so grateful for that. We're grateful for the way that we can learn. We can be convicted and challenged by your holy scriptures. Thank you for the example of the apostles. Help us to put into practice the things that we've learned, Lord, to do the things you've called us to do, and ultimately by your grace. Lord, we recognize we need your divine favor and blessing as we go forward in Jesus' name.